Okay, we have got a great guest to uh, kick off our program today. She is joining us today here on the telephone. She is out and about and uh, trying to make things happen. Uh, She is pretty tremendous. Uh, Heidi St. John is with us today. Heidi, welcome to the broadcast. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. So great name. <laughs> That's awesome. Heidi, <laughs> yes. That is absolutely a great name. Thank you. Well, I used to I used to wonder why my parents uh, gave me the name Heidi because there was a dog up on Mount Hood who had the same name and that's what I always grew up with. So I always I'm always appreciative when people like my name. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. And now uh Heidi is is part of a an a, a great group of folks that are running for various offices and different things around the country. She is a congressional candidate in the GOP primary for the third district of Washington State. And the only challenger who can knock off uh, the rhino extraordinaire Jamie Herrera Bootler and uh, Heidi is also the author of Mom Strong book series, and uh, she joins us today here on the telephone. So, Heidi, tell us a little bit about why you why you've decided that you wanted to run. Yeah, well, that's a good question, right? Because I think most people say sane people wouldn't get into politics right now. Yes, uh, but I have been, you know, actually supporting Jamie Herrera Butler. She's been in office now ten years. Okay. Uh, over the last several years, she became uh, almost militantly anti-Trump. You know, voted against the wall, stuff like that, and then she voted to impeach the president without uh, giving him due process, which is not how things work in the United States of America. And uh, well, actually, that's not entirely true. It seems like Joe Biden is bent on doing the same thing. But for me to watch what she did district uh, I just couldn't take it anymore and I just looked at my husband and I said what you know how about we what if, what would happen if I ran and we stopped just sending our money and I don't feel like I'm being represented and I think that is the that's how the majority of people around here feel we feel that we've been electing people to uh, you know go and represent us and we're doing the the thing chasing the American dream and raising our children to be patriots and teaching them how to make their beds and clean up after themselves and all the while that we think that these people are representing us, not only are they not representing us, yep. they're actively undermining our American way of life. So, Don, uh, I know you've probably got some questions. Jump in there, my friend. Well, you know, it, it's a really a question. She's the incumbent uh, in a seat that's essentially a Republican seat. Um, running against her is... Uh, you risk you run the risk of dividing the electorate and allowing a Democrat to to slip in there. Uh, what is yeah. your, uh, How do you feel about that? And uh, how how have you uh, worked it out in your in your mind and with your supporters? Well, what we're really going to try to do is have a very strong ground game. I believe that uh, Jamie Herrera Butler has been politically mortally wounded in the district. The danger, of course, is that you're exactly right, that a Democrat would come in and take that seat. And so what we're going to be doing starting here pretty quickly is uh, doorbelling and talking to people about the issues. And I believe that we've got a real chance. People are angry. I think we've got a real chance to see true conservatives and people of integrity and courage. 
you know, I don't, I have said for a long time, and this year has solidified my belief, you know, we did not, uh, the real pandemic in this country is not a virus with a 99.98% survival rate. The real pandemic is a crisis of courage. We have dangerous Democrats in office and weak Republicans. And so uh, I'm going to try to change it. Well, God knows we need need more people like you. But, but you, you know, you said a very interesting point. How do we get good people to come into into politics, given um, the the stench that that is now um, evident throughout the country? Yeah, well, I think we're going to have to just rise up. You know, most of the people that I have talked to you about my run have been, they were very surprised to see that I got into politics in the first place. But there's a reason that good people don't run. They don't run because they don't like the swamp. They know that their political adversaries on both sides of the aisle will try to ruin their reputation, will try to ruin their their livelihood if they can. Uh, Politics is a a bit of a blood sport now. And frankly, it's going to take people of courage to say, no, this is our country. We love it here. And we're going to do everything we can to make sure that our children inherit the freedom that was fought for that we have enjoyed. And so to me, it's not a question of what's going to happen to me or even other people who would jump into politics. The question is, do we have the courage to stand up to these bullies and thugs, which is all that they are, and say, no, this nation is an idea that's worth representing? I don't think our republic can long survive much more of the assault of the radical left and the weak uh, Republicans that we currently have in leadership. Couldn't agree with you more. But Heidi, people like yourself who uh, go into politics and and are fortunate enough to win, uh, go to Washington and they become part of the problem. I mean, I've uh, I've looked at it for 50 years. It just just came up uh, again this morning in something else. But why is it that going to Washington seems to change people, and how how will you resist if you do win uh, what, what I think is uh, the allure of Washington? That's a really good question. I'm glad that you asked it. I think one of the main things that I plan on doing, you know, my husband and I have seven children and three grandchildren so far, and I think one of the main ways that we keep the corruption of Washington, D.C. from washing over us is that we we live in the district that we represent. And so what you see so often is these politicians, they go and they buy houses in Washington, D.C., and they make Washington, D.C. their home, except for it's not their home. And I think Jamie Herrera Butler is a perfect example of this. After 10 years, you know, uh, it's like that that has become her home and she's forgotten who she represents. And so I plan on living in the district as often as I can and traveling back and forth, which when you consider uh, Washington State all the way to Washington, D.C., that is a massive undertaking. But I think it's important to stay connected. I also think, boy, what would happen if we actually started talking to our constituents more often and we listened to them? I, I don't know how you guys feel, but out here, people don't feel like they're being listened to anymore. And so they don't feel like they have a voice and representative government is supposed to give them a voice. I think part of the way that you uh, keep from becoming corrupt is you have you give yourself the ability to be held accountable by the people that sent you there in the first place. I also have no intention of staying for decades. Uh, I think that's a bad idea on 100 different levels. But um, if I, can I go one more question? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, my friend. Go ahead. Well, we, we, we got an uh, IQ. But um, but the question is, 
Uh, it's expensive to run a campaign, and I don't know how you're financing your campaign, but even uh, if you win this time around, uh, what is it? You devote half your time for the next two years, half of the next two years, getting the money to run again uh, two years from now. How, how do you yeah. expect to, to, to do it differently? Well, I'll tell you, that's one of the things that's so disappointing about politics, isn't it? Um, I was just in Washington, D.C. I got to spend a couple of days up on Capitol Hill with Congresswoman Mary Miller. She is a congresswoman out of Illinois. And uh, she was talking about all the time that she has to spend fundraising. It is a shame. And frankly, it makes me look at politics as if it were corrupt for a lot of different reasons, that these politicians don't get to go there and spend all of their time. Uh, working on the problems that the people elected them to work on. And then instead, they spend a lot of their time fundraising. This is something that has to be addressed and something that's going to have to be fixed. Uh, I see corruption, frankly, on in so many levels. And I think uh, the political and financial ties are a huge part of that. And I think it's going to take more than just Heidi St. John, right? It's going to take a whole new crop of people who love this country and are going to be committed to fixing what's wrong with the political process. And I do, I think you're absolutely right. It's the fact that these guys have to spend so much of their time raising funds is a huge part of the problem. Well, um, how are you breaking into the media? Because people, uh, candidates like yourself, who is speaking of the words you speak, uh, seem to get short shift by the media. How are you um, trying to convince the media to provide you with the coverage that they, they will provide the, the incumbent? Yeah, that's a good question, too. Well, so far, you know, we're still a year uh, over a year away now from a primary. And so we're still pretty far out. I don't expect there to be a whole lot of attention given to this race until after the 2021 election. And frankly, I think that's healthy. Because what's happening is we've got these very, very important municipal races. We've got races for city council and uh, for mayors and for school boards. And what happens is the federal races eat up all that attention, even a year out. And then we wind up with poor leadership at the local level. And so I've been spending quite a bit of my time in my district reminding people that they need to keep their eye on the local races right now and not focusing so much on mine. And I think that when the time comes, you're going to see uh, voices like mine get elevated and they are going to get quite a bit of uh, coverage. People are angry. They're angry about how COVID has uh, has taken our nation down a communist trail, for one thing. They're angry about what Joe Biden is doing. They're angry about open borders. And I think the American people are ready and looking for solutions. And voices like mine need to bubble to the top. And that's what we're going to be working hard to do. Can I go one more question? Uh, yeah, go 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 ahead, and then we'll let IQ jump um, in here. Do you think that the the Republican Party needs another leader like uh, Trump, uh, ex President Trump, to uh, really uh, galvanize this movement that you and other people like represent? I I have I will always be grateful to President Trump for the way that he exposed the lies in the media, for the way that he has made ordinary citizens like myself feel like we could run for office and take back this country that really belongs to the citizens and not to the political elite. And I think it's going to continue to take voices like his with the America First agenda that says, no, America is an extraordinary nation with extraordinary possibilities. 
and an extraordinary future. And so, yes, I do think I mean, part of the reason, you know, that people uh, that the elites hated the president was because he told the truth. <laughs> he exposed them for what they were. And I think we're going to continue. We're going to continue to need strong voices like that. You, uh, you are a, a tr- tremendous campaigner. You're to be congratulated. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's high praise coming from you, since I've never run for political office before in my life. No, no, I, <laughs> I, I'm 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 being very serious, uh, Heidi. Um, uh, we need more voices like you just articulated. Thank you, sir. So, IQL Rizzoli, uh, sitting here listening to Don and Heidi. Uh, what, what do you have for her? Well, first of all, I don't need to ask any more questions because Don asked the best questions. <laughs> what I need to do is make comments now. Okay. Heidi, when you win, you deserve the Medal of Honor. Yes. <laughs> because 50 people like you, in 2022, you will save the Republic. I mean it. I mean, this is a congratulations message. Everything you said is true. Politicians should not be in Washington, D.C. They should be in their districts and they can communicate by television. They don't have to be physically in Washington, D.C. to be corrupted. And what you said about how dangerous it is to be in politics and yet you're taking the risk it's like being in the firing line in world war ii congratulations and god bless you yes thank you so much no um uh, heidi um uh, it's a, almost a shame I, I almost wish you were uh, in a district w- uh, with a democratic congress a congressman because th- then then your message would be uh, twi- twice as effective. Um, but uh, I have no more to say. You've said it all. But I guess uh, what I'd ask you now is, uh, how do you intend to go about campaigning? Well, what we're going to do is go back to the way my grandparents taught me to be involved in politics way back in the 70s. Uh, I'm a huge believer in actually talking to people. And so we're doing a lot of we're planning a lot of old-fashioned town hall style meetings i'm doing a series of things called politics in the park and we're asking people to come and just hey talk to the people that want to represent you and let them know what are the issues that you care about so that when those people go and represent you they're actually doing the job that you sent them there to do so we're going to have a very very strong ground game we're going to do a lot of doorbelling we're going to meet a lot of people And uh, hopefully, you know, I mean, I think that politicians in the last probably 20 years for sure have been relying on the Internet and Facebook ads and those kinds of things. I actually want to meet the people that I am uh, running to represent and to get into their their lives and hear their stories and let them know, hey, I actually want to be your voice in Washington, D.C. and give you back the thing that has been stolen from you for the last 40 years in politics. Mm. Well, uh, as a sh- being the chauvinist that I am, I'm going to ask a question. Uh, somebody uh, was bound to ask you, why aren't you home and your husband campaigning? <laughs> oh man, that's a great question. I wish he was on the. I wish he was on the phone. He would love to answer that. I am, uh, <laughs> I'm an author and a speaker, and he hates speaking. And so I speak for a living. I'm usually on the road about three weekends out of the month speaking for various 
uh, events all over the nation. And so this really is my wheelhouse. I think it's one of the reasons why it makes me a good representative, uh, because I am used to uh, the art of public persuasion and talking in front of thousands of people. And that's what it takes on the floor of the House of Representatives to be able to make an argument and to articulate a point of view in a way that actually moves the needle. And so I have my husband's full support. We we were together. Uh, we were, Well, we're coming up on 32 years of marriage, for one thing. Uh, but wow. we prayed about this for about six weeks. We got all seven of our children together. Uh, we, you know, we really just wrestled this thing to the floor. And we have considered the cost. Uh, because frankly, it is it is costing. It's already costing our family, and so we believe that this is very much a wartime appointment. Our nation is at war. It's at war with an ideological enemy, and I do not believe that our nation will be taken from without. I think it will be taken from within by cultural Marxists who are in our universities and in our uh, our our secondary schools and even in our elementary schools. And so, this is my passion: is speaking. And uh, I believe that this is the right time for my voice, and so does my husband. Well, you have seven children, Kanoa. We asked uh, what they range in age to, and uh, are they going to help you on the campaign? Yes. Yeah, so our oldest, our oldest daughter is uh, thirty, and our youngest is ten. And so I still have two at home. We've homeschooled our kids all the way through high school, so I've still got two. Uh, left at home, a, a junior in high school and a junior higher. And so we are, yeah, I mean, this will be a family affair for sure. Um, I'm not expecting them to, you know, my oldest daughter, for example, she's got three kids of her own. She's got a very busy life. And I know that my kids are going to help wherever they feel that they can be the most helpful. The main thing for me when it comes to my kids is uh, I want them to know that I that I'm that they are my first priority and that they always will be. My family is everything to me and to my husband, and that's part of the reason why we're doing this. I don't want to have to look at my grandkids after we lose our country to uh, Marxism and say I didn't do anything. And uh, uh, our kids know that, so we have all considered the cost. Haile, I have a question now. If you do get to Congress and you meet with Elhan Omar. Are you going to be one of the 535 spineless people? Oh, no. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> she sure, uh, she no, sure no. doesn't sound that way. <laughs> no, I think see, you know, anybody, no. anyone who knows me knows that, I, that that's part of the reason I'm running, is to uh, say, I, why don't we have Republicans on the other side of the aisle with as much guts and moxie as these, uh, as these communists are having, right? Highly, I give you one piece of advice. I'm an authority. When I say that, I'm not boasting because Don knows about it and James knows about it. I'm an authority on Islam. I'm second to none on the face of this earth. It's not an exaggeration. If you Google Al Rasuli, A L R A double S double O L I, I know more about Islam than any Imam on the planet. So when you meet with Ilhan Omar, you'll be very, as usual, you are very forward. Ask her, why do you wear the hijab? It's a simple question. She will lie to you. She will tell you it's mandated in the Quran. It's not mandated anywhere in the Quran. And yet there is not a single human being in the United States of America, 330 million, who has this. 
absolutely amazing. It is uh, IQ Rizzoli, Don Mazzella, Heidi St. John. Heidi, uh, besides the campaign, you're also an author. Tell us a little bit about some of the books that you've written. I don't know. We might have lost him. What happened here? I think we lost him. Are you still there, IQ? No, no. There. They hung up on me. Okay. Hmm. That's always interesting. Okay. I think I'm back. <laughs> no, no, wait. Something is wrong. How could Tylee be lost? I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna call her back and see if it was oh, please do. it was a technical oh, snafu, of course, because it's Skype. <laughs> Are you there? There we are. Yeah, sorry yeah, about that. We were uh, you. So, sorry about that. What, what what I was wanting to get into was uh, your books. Tell us about your books. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm the author of I think seven books right now. I've got another one coming out next year. Uh, the MomStrong series came out in 2017. I was born out of a passion of mine to encourage mothers. The culture has really devalued motherhood. And yes. we've been telling, you know, the, the feminists have lied to women and said, you know, motherhood is a sign of weakness. It's something that you do if you can't figure out what else to do with your life. And uh, I couldn't disagree more with the feminist movement. And so I wrote a book in 2017 called Becoming Mom Strong, How to Fight with All That's in You for Your Family and Your Faith. And to really remind these women that they are doing something extraordinary and they are raising a very special generation of children. And this generation that they are raising right now, they're going to have to know how to stand up for the truth and how to defend themselves. And uh, so it really was my kind of a, a clarion call, I guess, if you will, to these moms to say what you're doing is more than just a stopover on the highway of life. It actually is the most important thing you'll ever do with your life. And just to try to encourage them. Fantastic. Fantastic. So where, where, where can we get the books? Oh no! <laughs> I got it. Oh Skype, Skype to phone, phone to Skype. It's always so much fun. Ah, uh, it's always so much fun. Skype to phone, phone to Skype. All the nonsense. There we are. Ah, uh, I just don't Hi, know sometimes. One, one other thing I suggest: you should write a book about how you feel. Because you're the best, uh, um, um, you're you, you articulating an awful lot of good things. Thank you, sir. Yeah. But also, how to, you know, do you know the expression, if, if uh, men had to give birth, the human race would die out? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is, you know, two years ago, we all just would have laughed, and now... Uh, the progressives are telling us that men can give birth. I mean, this is this is uh, this is just another example of how completely how completely mixed up we are. Well, we won't argue about that, uh, uh, Heidi. Anyway, um, uh, Heidi, are you getting any support from the Repu Republican Party or any groups at all that uh, we might know about? 
Yes, so I was endorsed a couple of months ago by the Right Women PAC. This is Debbie Meadows, uh, uh, part of the organization that she is uh, working to advance conservative women voices and help them get elected. Uh, so that was an, an important endorsement for me. And I'm going to continue right now. I mean, what we're trying to do is build one of the largest grassroots movements that the state of Washington has ever seen. And so I want wow. it to be that way. So uh, we're, we're, we're going to be working very, very hard at the ground game here. And of course, you know, you guys rightly pointed out, it takes a lot of money to run a campaign. And so we're asking anyone who is listening to help us and anyone can uh, anyone can donate and we need all the help we can get. That's at Heidi St. John for Congress dot com. And uh, I always tell parents and, you know, or just patriots, it doesn't matter uh, if I'm from your district or not, my voice in Congress will be a voice for the nation. And so we are going to be asking people to help us uh, bring my voice to Washington, D.C. for freedom. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, Dude, yes. Great, great guest, Judy. Oh, she's she's fantastic. Heidi, you have been... Uh, tremendous and i and i definitely want to have you back as 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 things uh progress along with your campaign my friend uh, Heidi, well i would love in, that if you're ever in new york let us know ahead of time i sure will boy i was just i went i was in new york not too long ago but now i'm not sure i want to come back given what's going on in uh, new york city for goodness mm. sake <laughs> <laughs> I want to take you to my republic, my club. They should. Um, uh, we only we only have Republican presidents in our uh, uh, main dining room, so uh, that's the type of club it is. But anyway, oh, I love if you it. Give me a, if you give me a, uh, I'm enthusiastic about you because you really articulate it. So please, uh, Jiggy will give you my uh, email. Yes, I, I, I'll pass that along to you, Heidi. I, I appreciate you doing this, my friend. Oh, thank you so much. It really has been an honor to be invited. Definitely. Have, have yourself a wonderful day, Heidi. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. Take care, you guys. Thank you. So, uh, IQ, uh, while I get our next guest ready to go, what, 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 did, you, uh, what did you think of, uh, of, of the young woman there, Heidi St. John? A firebrand, a firebrand, fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> Jiggy, she's married thirty-two years. She can't be a spring chicken. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the uh, the the press information that that I that I got on her. Uh, she doesn't look like she's been married that long. When she was saying she's got all these grandkids and everything, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? It's got to be an old picture. Something. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, Don, what, what, what did you think of her? Well, I don't invite many people to my club. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I just love IQ's laugh. <laughs> That's great. No, no, she's amazing, honestly. Mm. And as I said, 50 well, people like her in 2022, they save a republic. Yes. I mean, she, she just put it together really, really well. In 15 minutes. Yes. She said yeah. it all. Better than you. Yeah. In IQ minutes. or I could say it. 
I'll, uh, I'll rephrase it, that I could say it. I won't talk for IQ. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, we are going to do this. We are going to take a quick time out. I am going to get our next guest here on Skype, and uh, I'm going to hang up with Don and IQ, and I will call you guys back here in just a second. And uh, we are going to do this. We are going to go to our... Uh, we're we're, we're, we're going to go to our next guest. They um, apparently are on the call. We're going to join the call. We are going to see... Uh, I believe... David might be with us here in just a few seconds. And uh, David, how are you, sir? I'm fine. Forward <laughs> to this. Well, let me um, let me get our other two panelists in here, and we will, uh, as they say, jump off the good foot and do the bad thing. Okay, so you heard, you heard that David Wenzel can't join us. Yes, yes. It, it'll just be us. It'll just be us today. It'll be a uh, it'll be a fascinating conversation. Uh, welcome, welcome back to our big broadcast. We are live, coast to coast, border to border on iHeartRadio today, and also AMFM twenty four seven dot com fifty plus AMFM stations across the country and around the world. And we are talking. Uh, I I guess usually we talk politics on this show, but every once in a while we take. Uh, we, we take a different tact with things, and today we have got a great guest talking about a, uh, a big uh, production, uh, theater presentations, all sorts of things. So, uh, so, David, give us a little bit on your background, and then uh, we'll talk about your project here. And I know that Don and IQ are, will, ha- will have some questions for you, my friend. Well, wonderful. Um the project is Hamlet Horatio. Yes. Horatio, which is a, a new uh, film that just launched uh, early, uh, in, uh, in June. Okay. And uh, it's, uh, it's a, a, a different take on the story of Hamlet. It's seen through the eyes of Horatio. Yes. And which gives a, a very different perspective to the meaning and the flow of the uh, the uh, traditional theater piece. What we've yes. done is 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 very very cinematic uh, approach to be make it accessible to today's audiences, um, and uh, just as. The play is uh, a play within a play within a play. Yes. Our film is a film within a film within a film. <laughs> that is awesome. That is oh, fantastic. So um, I'm sorry you broke up from my end. I did not hear um, what you were saying. I, I apologize. He, he was talking about Hamlet and Horatio, and it's basically written and produced from the... Uh, Horatio standpoint of things. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yes, yes. So, so Don, um, you you are a man about town. Uh, do you have, do you have any questions here for 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 David uh, about this project? Well, uh, if, if I heard correctly, it's a movie. Yes. Good. 
Uh, where can we see it? That's the first question. Well, uh, Amazon Prime isn't bad. Okay. Uh, that's open to many people. It's open on Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and uh, now it's also on the direct network, so everyone with their dishes can uh, see it on that. Uh, beginning uh, September, it's going to be on Voodoo as as well. So well, you guess, choices. I guess my question is: Have you? I've always thought of Hamlet as such a dense, dark play. That it's um, it's uh, to me a very sad play. And, uh, uh, what have you done to make it uh, to me um, um, more, more palatable to our audience today? Okay, uh, sad in in what respect? That it's 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 called a tragedy because there are deaths involved with this. Uh, Yes, the the story still reflects the deaths okay. of Hamlet's father. Okay. Uh, uh, Ophelia going mad and and killing herself, committing suicide. That's Hamlet's not father. sad. <laughs> no, that is sad. So, uh, so, so David, this uh, this updating. Uh, uh, updating this this project for for a younger audience and uh, making it uh, because I, I I know a lot of folks when we mentioned we were going to have you on the broadcast were like you know I've I've seen Hamlet in the past and it's kind of a boring dry piece of business uh, how have you guys kind of updated this and kind of fixed this so it would be more palatable to folks. Okay, this is very exciting and colorful and cinematic. Okay. It's very youthful-oriented. The Hamlet, Horatio, and Ophelia are all age-appropriate. Okay. They're, they, they're young college student age, okay? It's not a 50- or 60-year-old actor uh, playing the, the role of, of Hamlet. Uh, it's very dynamic because... When you have an older actor playing the role of Hamlet and he's having these confrontations with his mother, upset with his mother, getting remarried and things like that, Hamlet, if he's 30 or 40 year old playing Hamlet, he should be married and, and worried about his own family and he shouldn't have these questions and, and debates with his mother. Hmm. But when you have a college age student, 18 or 19 year old, they're much closer to their mother, aren't they? Yes. Much, much closer. So the dynamic is completely, completely changed. And the other thing we do to make it even more palatable for a younger audience is that I've carefully edited the text so that archaic words that no longer have meaning to us today are changed so they're understandable today. And I'm, I use words that would have been in Shakespeare's vocabulary. I, I don't use modern slang or something like that. So it's both understandable, exciting, and youthful-oriented. 
So it's not boring. It's very dynamic. And it plays very, very well. And as I say, it's completely reconceived as a film, not as a stage version. It, 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 it is not a four-hour piece where you don't understand half the words. Okay? Mm -hmm. You'll understand everything, and you'll be, within 30 to 40 seconds, you'll be lost in this film, and you'll just get carried away with it. Uh, and you don't have to be youth. One of my students, I'm a teacher at the New York Film Academy, and one of my students saw it and said that he loved it. And, and, and I said, well, that's great. And he said, yeah. And my grandmother loved it, too. <laughs> so it's not just it's just not for for young people. It's for audiences of all ages. And it's a very powerful piece. It, it has been acknowledged throughout the world. It has received best film in over in, in, in a total of seven seven film festivals has taken top prize including one from Russia three weeks ago. Wow. So if the Russians like it, I don't know whether Putin knows about it, I hope not. But if he does <laughs> or if he doesn't, we won best film in a Russian film festival. So we're doing something right. And uh, one of the things we're doing right is that Shakespeare's plays work on multiple levels. There's a historical level, a political, psychological, sexual, uh, all, all those different levels can be, yeah. can be hit on on all cylinders throughout the course of the play. But ultimately, there's an, a moral, spiritual level which supersedes all those other levels. Mm. Because Shakespeare's plays are all moral exemplar. Yeah. Okay? And that's the real meaning of the piece. It's not the deaths. It's not the deaths, it's what those deaths lead to and what, what, what is the meaning and how in this film you see Hamlet transcend death. Yeah. The film begins on the soundstage, an empty soundstage, and you see them creating this film before your eyes and Horatio is the director of this project. And he's fulfilling Hamlet's death wish to him to tell his story, to tell his tragic story to the world so the world can learn. So, so, uh, evil. So uh, IQ Al Rizzoli, sitting here listening to uh, to David and Don. What 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 kind of questions do you have for David? Well, 
first of all, David, why did you pick up Hamlet of all of Shakespeare's? And because will you continue now investigating other Shakespeare's plays and make them modern? No, I, I don't. That's not my end goal. Uh, this project of Hamlet was evolved over a 20-year period. Okay? Wow. Uh, the producer who is unable to be here today played the role of Hamlet over 20 years ago, multiple times. Wow. And as he did, we experimented with different takes on Hamlet as a play, including beginning at the ending and, and, and doing all different things with the text. And ultimately, we realized we couldn't go any further, any further with, with the live productions with, with what, what we've done. And we couldn't reach the audiences that we wanted to reach. So we decided to do it as a film. And even that took quite some time, gestation period. And then it was on the shelf for a long time. And four years ago, David said to me, it's time to do this. And why? Because David and I both agreed that the spiritual nature of this piece is just right for these times. Because Hamlet sacrifices his life himself to save to save his country from the evil of his uncle, who's a murderer and usurped the throne. So the, the, there, the things that happen in this film are still things that happen. Today, don't they? Oh, Is that Biden you're thinking of now? <laughs> the usurper? You, you can think of whom you want after <laughs> you see the film. But, but uh, I, I'm sure most people will say it's Trump. But, that... but uh, Trump didn't usurp. Trump won fairly. Biden didn't win fairly. Anyway, I would love to see it. I'm, I'm definitely going to see it. Well, you're going to be in for some good surprises. Well, Even if it's not good surprises, the change from a theater to a movie, I'm going to see it. Thank you very much for your advice. Okay, thank you for your question. So, Don, uh, in, any more questions for David? Well, we've got a lot, a lot of questions, but I'm, I'm first going, going to see the movie. I get primed, so I'm definitely going to uh, do it. And then, uh, uh, unfortunately, I can't do it here, but I will definitely try to get it because you, you uh, really uh, uh, pricked my interest because uh, to look at Hamlet and relate it to today, as, uh, as you say, is, uh, is no mean achievement. And you're to be congratulated for that. Because God knows we need everything that can improve what we have today. But the, how did you go about filming it? Where did you film it? And how did you pick your act, actress and actors? Okay, as I say, it's filmed on the soundstage. Okay, yeah. the soundstage was in New Jersey. 
Okay. Awesome. Uh, but uh, it could have been a soundstage in Oregon or <laughs> California. That isn't the point. The point is, it's a film. It's a film. And it evolves from that film, as I say, it becomes a film within a film within a film. And the reason we went ahead with this on, on this concept is because we felt the Times wanted to see a spiritually uplifting play, film based on a play. And that's what we do. And that's why the audience are, are responding to it so much coming out of this pandemic. It's just the ideal thing to warm people's spirits. And that's the main thrust of the piece. It's the spiritual transcendency of the spirit of Hamlet that holds the whole film together. Not the deaths, not the, 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 the background of, of the play, the historical nature of the play of things. We've cut it down to its spiritual essence so that you can't help but concentrate on that. <laughs> See a five hour play, with different historical elements and, and multiple characters and things, the spiritual moral aspect of the play is frequently lost yes. or greatly diminished. But not here. For an hour and 40 minutes, you are transported. It's brilliantly edited in such a way that it, it, it just, it just powers ahead, powers ahead. It, 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 it doesn't allow you to lose your concentration for a second. You're carried away by the story and the wonderful actors. Uh, the Hamlet and Horatio and the Ophelia are all former actors of mine at the New York Film Academy where I am a teacher of Shakespeare. So I train these actors. And their performances are stellar. They're quite remarkable, powerful. The Horatio is Demo Melagadis. Uh, he is best known for having played in Patriot's Day with Wahlberg, having played the lead bomber, mm. lead terrorist. Awesome. And he played it beautifully. But for years afterward, they just cast him as terrorists. And, and <laughs> he got typecast. And, and, I, and I said, Themo, we've got to see you in a different a different character. You have to see the other elements of your personality and your and your acting ability. Yes. And he 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 he, he saw the wisdom of what we said, and in this you you see his tremendous emotional uh, and uh, 
vulnerability. You see, in this version, how much and Horatio are really two aspects of the same soul, symbolically speaking. Yeah. It's, it's a technique that Shakespeare does frequently, like in King Lear. Lear, Cordelia, and the fool are all the aspect of one personality, of mm. one spiritual entity. And that's what I felt that Shakespeare was doing with Hamlet and Horatio. And this film concentrates on that, focuses in on that. And I've made changes that bring, bring this out more fully uh, by creating some purely cinematic scenes, scenes without dialogue. <laughs> Uh, and, and others, and created other scenes by piecing dialogue from various points of the parts of the script and putting them together and refocusing them so that the meanings of them are, are, are more lucid and powerful. So there's a lot of juggling to do. But what you're seeing is not not a warmed-over stage production done as a film. Mm. Completely reconceived. Were you producer mm. and director? I'm sorry? Were you the producer and director? I helped produce it. Uh, I did not direct it. I conceived the piece. Our director was a very, is a very brilliant uh, director by the name of Paul Warner. And it, it was his... It's his genius that had to come to the fore to bring my concept to life, to cinematic life. He deserves the credit for that. Uh, but I also acted in it. It opens with a cinematographer entering in, the, in this completely dark soundstage. He's wearing clown white makeup. And he comes in and he goes, he goes to a camera that's in, wrapped in protective covering and he takes off the, the protective wrapping and sets up his camera and the, the doors of the loading dock roll up and the director enters with his stagehands and scenery and start assembling things and the actors start coming on stage and it all happens in, in front of your eyes. So I'm very enthusiastic about it. You really are very enthusiastic about it. You really make us want to see the movie. Well, I hope so. I'm rather passionate about this, in case you had Will you send us the link, James? Yes, yes. I, I will get you guys all that information. Um, I have two questions, Judy. First one is, uh, what sound stage did you... I'm here in New Jersey. I'm just curious, which, uh, where, what 
soundstage you used? Uh, um, uh, Butter Tree. Oh, okay. But my I, my second question a little bit more complicated. Do you think all the plays were written by one man, all of Shakespeare? Do you think all of his plays were written by one man? Yes, no, because he, he collaborated on a number of plays. Henry VIII was a, a collaboration with John Fletcher, and he collaborated with him on some other plays. Uh, but the, the main plays that we know Shakespeare by, I believe, were written by him uh, on, on his own. But there, in those days, there were, there were things of collaboration, and Shakespeare probably got cut his teeth as a playwright by working with other playwrights and uh, probably uh, 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 helping him write write it down for them and 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 and, and learn by by doing. He he also uh, acted in the in the plays of Christopher Marlowe, and in those days, the directors were the writers. Mm-hmm. The playwrights directed their plays. So he did Marlowe's plays, but he also was directed by Marlowe. Was Marlowe a good teacher? I think probably so. I mean, Shakespeare took his play, The Jew of Malta, and rewrote it as The Merchant of Venice. So he learned something from Marlowe. Probably a lot. But, but uh, I, find, I, find, I find it interesting. I haven't read all those plays, but it, it just seems to me that uh, um, the way he structures most of his plays just seems extraordinary for for his time compared to his contemporaries in, in terms of structure. Well, uh, one could say the same thing about Mozart uh, and, and, and other great geniuses. They, they're unique. They transcend their surroundings. And that transcendence is, is what makes them immortal. And that's that's the case with Shakespeare. My God, this film is an homage to him. If Shakespeare were alive today, he'd probably be working for film. Because mm-hmm. film is is a mass media. He worked for the masses. Yes. Yes. He he would be working in film. And if Shakespeare were alive today, I believe he'd be making the same changes and doing some of the same things that I'm doing, that I have done in this script, this screenplay. Because he didn't, he, he rewrote his plays and he tinkered with them, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, he would see the value of making the changes uh, for for these times. And he didn't have word. I'm sorry? He didn't have word. He rewrote, but he didn't have word. The, pro- the program. Oh, yeah. Know? Anyway, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me on that one. Yeah. He didn't have the computer. That's what you're getting at. <laughs> he, did, he didn't. Play scripts as well as movies. Yeah. 
Well, this has been a fascinating uh, interview today. Uh, before we let everybody go, I want to start with IQ Al Rizzoli. Um, IQ, how do we get in touch with you online, sir? Just Google my name, Al Rizzoli, A-L-R-A-S-S-O-L-I. By the way, it was a pleasure listening to you, and I'm definitely going to watch the movie. Well, fine. If you watch it on Amazon, leave a comment. I am a member in Amazon, so it's all right. It will be easy. Oh, my. Awesome. So, so Don. Uh, thanks, Don. Don, it was a pleasure seeing you again. <laughs> so, Don, uh, give us an update on all your projects and everything. DonMazzella.com for the book. Um uh, to sbdigest.com for our our website hashtag to sbdigest for the um, uh, Twitter and of course the National Robotics Education Foundation the hyphen nref.org that's that's our real baby anyway and, and it's been a pleasure and it certainly opened a whole new vista for me in terms of, of Hamlet and Horatio Thank you. Well, thank you for your questions, uh, and I, I hope your your listeners will uh, follow suit and want to see the film. Yes. Well, David, it has been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing this, my friend. Thank you for for asking me on, and I, I wish David Wenzel could have joined us, but uh, I think we had a good discussion. Yes. Yes, we did. Well, uh, my thanks to IQ, Don, and David, and we will see you guys next time. And uh, that is that.